0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Today, we're talking about Give It Up. now, the th- the thing I've said a few weeks in a row now is that the Jesus movement that started on the day of Pentecost, that we know, either even from extra-biblical sources, from historians and others, the Jesus movement, the movement of the Christian church in the first three centuries grew explosively in the Roman world in ways that shocked and surprised both critics and adherents and those who are neutral, and historians today still look back and go like, how did that happen? Why did that happen? And their conclusion comes down to, from the historical evidence, something had to have happened. At least that the disciples in the early church truly believed that Jesus rose from the dead and that they had new life in his name and a whole new way of being because how they lived was so transformative. They lived so differently that even like I said the critics last year couldn't quite figure it out. There was one named Lucian of Samosata who actually lived about a hundred years. This wasn't just for Acts chapter 2 or chapter 4 or even in the time of the the book of Acts, but afterwards. And Lucian of Samosata, this critic who kind of makes a parody and sarcastic remarks about the church as he writes down his history of what's going on, "'A hundred A.D. said this, "'The poor fools have persuaded themselves above all "'that they are immortal and will live forever, "'from which it follows that they despise death, "'and many of them willingly undergo imprisonment. "'Moreover, their first lawgiver taught them "'that they are all brothers of one another.'" When once they have sinned by denying the Greek gods and by worshiping that crucified sophist himself and living according to his laws, so they despise all things equally and regard them as common property, accepting such teaching without any sort of clear proof. Accordingly, if any quack or trickster who can press his advantage comes among them, he can acquire great wealth in a very short time by imposing on simple-minded people. Okay? We shared that last week, and I think it fits with this week as well, that... The early church gave in such ways that it amazed them, the people around. And they thought, what is going on? Something's wrong with this is the way they took it. These must be fools. They must not get it. Why are they believing this stuff? But they took notice. And of all the churches that were living this way, Paul highlights one church in his letters that went... and. Uh, an extreme step further than he even expected, and that is the church of the Macedonians in northern Greece and how out of their poverty they gave liberally. And so we're going to read our text today from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. Now I know, right away, when we're talking about money and possessions, you might be saying to yourself, great, of all Sundays, and if this is your first Sunday here, it's like, wow, of all Sundays, I picked the one that they're talking about money. And it's really about the first time, I think, that we've actually preached on this in two years. Um, Specifically, And I understand because I understand it's a tough topic. And boy, have I seen abuses in churches where they have guilted and shamed and cajoled and bargained and dealt with and play these games with people to make them give or push them to give, and you might then also see as well on the the flip side how churches have spent and used resources given to them, and you're going like, what? So there's been abuse, and I understand that, so that anything that I say, because of what you've heard, what you've experienced, what you've seen, might just be negated and just kind of canceled out today. And that's kind of sad. And I understand, but I still need to talk about this and for two reasons. First of all, I think, because, well, Jesus talked about this. I don't know if you realize, but one-third of everything that Jesus said and did was about possessions and money. One-third. It's the topic he talked about a lot more than sex, a lot more than even murder, a lot more than almost anything except God was on this. So it's like, if I'm going to... Preach kind of the whole counsel of God, not just kind of the easy topics. I'm going to talk about this one, but secondly, and this one's even more important. Okay, and the fact is this that the Scriptures, the Gospel, gee, they have it has some great news for us about money and possession, so that when we follow the Scriptures and the good news. Money becomes a great servant to us all rather than a master. You are freed to use it as it was intended from the beginning. And so I think we're compelled to do that. And here's a blunt truth. You know, God doesn't care simply to extract money from you. If that were the case, if God was only concerned about money He'd be working to make you into a Pharisee because I'll tell you, they did it. They gave and they tithed, even down to the spices in their spice rack. So they got 10%, you know, he, they gave, and yet this is how Jesus responded to their lifestyle. He said this in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Wow. Now, is that harsh or what? Harsh. If Jesus just cared about money, or if God just cared about money, his father, he would have looked at the Pharisees and said, wow, look at the Pharisees. Everybody needs to do this. Try to do that. Man, they're good for you. Just keep doing it. You know, show everybody how to live. But he didn't. Now, he didn't diss tithing, but he didn't say that's the heart of it. He said it's what? Justice? Mercy, faithfulness. In other words, it's really about relationships with people. It's not about money. It's about relationships and how money is to serve those, to bring about justice, to bring about righteousness, to bring about faithfulness in our relationships. And that's kind of the question today. Tell me how your possessions, your money, are serving Relationships? How is it serving God's kingdom? How is it being given for the sake of family? Now, I know most people think money's about money. Okay? It's the goal get more money. Why? Well, because behind money, there's a sense of if I've got more money, I am secure. Money's about power. Money is about my comfort level. Money is about control. If I have enough money, I'm in control of my life and everything. Money is really about avoiding difficulties. It makes me feel invincible or possible or having freedom or security or pleasure. You can see that money starts to snowball or maybe flood. Maybe that was a proper word for Southern Florida. But it's kind of like almost a black hole that just starts sucking everything into it when it becomes a master and saying, this is what I'm going to give you. And it makes everything about it. And we think we can get all of this from money, power, security, you name it. When in truth, it starts to take on the attributes that only God can fulfill. Get it? It becomes master. It doesn't just talk, it screams, and it tells you to follow it. And you and I, time and again, become its slave rather than the master. And all our relationships start to turn transactional deals. You know, hey, I did this for you. You could do this for me. Or I do this to get this. And everything becomes shallow that way. Now, I think Sir Francis Bacon said it really well. He's not the only one, but he has said it. That money, it's a lousy master. It makes a great servant. A great servant. And when you give, you keep it as a servant role in your life. Money is not for your security. It's not for your comfort. It's really not for your power. Not ultimately. Now I heard a story of a Christian professor, Dr. Leach, who had two sisters, students of his, that were enrolled in a master's program at his university. They were doing a phenomenal job of that. They were bright and shining stars. And during that time, he was a Christian professor, they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And as such, then they abandoned the direction of their master's work, and they had told their parents they were going to be missionaries now, and they were changing everything to go in that direction. Well, the parents were beside themselves. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't Get it. They flipped out and they called up Dr. Leach because they thought he was responsible for it all. And he, they said to him, Look, we wanted our daughters to go to a good college and get good master's degrees so that they could get good jobs, so they could get some money in the bank and have security. To which Dr. Leach responded and said, We are all living on this little rock called Earth, hurtling through space at jillions of miles an hour. And if we don't hit anything, we're still going to all die. And the only thing that will be under us is either the everlasting arms of our God or nothing at all. And you're worried about getting a master's to have some security? Wow, I think he was kind of bold in that, wasn't he? Woo! But there's truth to that. You can't get security. You can't get power. And you can't get control, ultimately, from money. Those things come from your God. Money is for people. Money is to be a servant. And when it is in that role, you are free. You don't let money master you. You use it. In service for God's kingdom, to give thanks, to respond to others' needs, and to heal the world. And the Macedonians got it of all people, they had nothing. They were poor. They were in persecution. They had they struggled, and yet they just overwhelmingly generous in the way that they responded. And so from this passage, we're going to learn four things pretty quickly. Okay. First of all, give cheerfully as they did. Secondly, give generously. Third, give freely. Fourth, give completely. Let's go with give cheerfully. Now, this doesn't come from our text that we just read, but actually from chapter 9, where Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, God loves a cheerful giver. And that word cheerful is fascinating. It's really the word hilaron in Greek, which means hilarious. You're supposed to be a hilarious giver. Isn't that great? It's basically that we just love so much what we're doing, and it's like, hey, great, I get to do this. The Macedonians just like, they pleaded with. Isn't that amazing? They pleaded with. <laughs> Paul to do more. <laughs> I don't know when the last time is, like, somebody stood up in a congregation and said, hey, pass that collection plate around again. <laughs> I need another chance. Right? Okay, but they did that. They just generously, it was spontaneous because it just was the way they were because that's what they saw the need. It was the poor in Jerusalem, other fellow Christians that had a need, a need in this world, and they said, we want to be a part of that, and they made a difference. They gave everything they could and beyond their ability, he had said. Wow. Secondly, give generously. Give generously. Now, you know, it's kind of that old story you've probably heard a hundred times. How much do I have to give? And once that question's asked, the argument has already been lost. It's kind of like when your kids say, do I have to clean my room? wow, they're going to be joyful doing it, aren't they? Yeah, you know, you could tell there's such a... And that's kind of the way it is with giving. It says give generously. And so when people are asking how much, they're usually asking for some formula so that they can kind of measure it. And now we can go into the pros and cons of the tithe and how in the Old Testament it was the standard. In the New Testament, it doesn't really bring it up except in as an assumption that it's kind of the basic foundation of giving, not the ceiling and we see in the um, in the Macedonian church here that they gave proportionally, they gave sacrificially, they gave generously, and beyond belief, even of Paul. Now, Paul had high expectations. Isn't it amazing they went even beyond them? Why? Why would they do that? Here's the deal: if your heart is filled with joy and so filled with grace that you want to give, then the amount will take care of itself. And you're going to be pushing, pushing, pushing through life to keep giving more and more and more of yourself for the sake of this world, for the sake of God's kingdom. And 10%, you'll not stop there. You'll just keep going. Thirdly, give freely. Now, if you thought the first two were hard ones, I think this one's even more difficult. Because when I give, so often I give to get, do you know what I mean? It's how you win friends and influence people. You give them something and then they become, you know, and then you can ask things. And it's like a lot of deal-making goes on that way. And, and so many relationships become that kind of transactional. I see that even with some of my neighbors, we've invited people over for dinner and we just invite them over and it's like, here, we gotta give them something. You know, they, they feel like now I'm, and we're just saying, hey, just come on over. We don't care, right? It's amazing how we will, oh, I've got to pay back. I've got to do this. I've got to balance things out. That's the kind of the way we give, where we give to those for the sake of getting in return. And Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet, as the hypocrites do in the tem- synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's he getting at? The left hand not knowing what? You don't keep a record. You don't keep track. You give freely with no strings attached. You're not giving to get back. You don't just give because you know that person is going to be nice to you in return. You give because you're just thankful. You're just amazed at God's grace. You don't even pay it forward. I can't pay anything forward. I can't even pay it back to God. Everything I've got is God's gift. This reminds me of when I was a kid. I know this is a little off, but it was off topic a little, but not really. I remember giving Christmas gifts, and so I'm like 10 years old, and this year I'm going to buy mom and dad Christmas gifts, right? Where did I get my money for that? My dad gave me 20 bucks, I go to Kmart. They still had Kmarts in those days. And it wasn't a blue light special, but I saw these little glasses about this big. They weren't shot glasses, but they were brandy sniffers. <laughs> I didn't know. I was 10 years old. And I said, cool, I'm getting that for my mom for Christmas. And my dad goes, okay, <laughs> you know. So I get these eight glasses from Libby, and we wrap them up. And my mom opens the present, and she's thrilled. She's thrilled. That's like me giving back to God. He gives me the stuff in the first place, and my gift to Him, it's not about how wonderful it is, it's about the relationship. You know, it's like artwork, you know? Your kids do all this artwork. Where does it go? It's not going in the um, <clears throat> Guggenheim, might actually be as good as some of that stuff in the Guggenheim, but it goes on your refrigerator. Why? Because it's so good? No, because it's the relationship. It's the relationship. So that's how we give. That's why we give. And that we, we give just out of thanks for our Heavenly Father, what he's done for us, how he's poured out his grace and mercy on our lives, Whew, you know, but at this point in time, if you don't feel preached at, I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't like to be told what to do, and I'm just feeling, you know, when I'm going through this, going like, yeah, well, I could be giving more. I know I'm holding on. To... And here's um, here's the reality. is Paul is not telling them. He says this in 2 Corinthians eight eight in our text. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of Others that your love is also genuine. Your giving is tied to what you love. It's a scary point, but it's true. Greed or generosity is mainly a matter of the heart. Money will flow freely to that which you treasure. It's almost effortless to spend money on what you love or whom you love. And it's almost impossible when it's something you don't. Ouch. Our real problem, my problem, I don't have a heart like the Macedonians have. I just don't. So how are we going to solve that? And Paul knows we're all in that position. We're all kind of turned into ourselves. We're all a bit on the what's-in-it-for-me side. We're all struggling with this. He knows that. And it's not a bunch of commands that is going to change you or me. It's not the law. It's not the truth even that will change me, but it's going to be love that transforms me. And I think he's telling us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, these two wonderful chapters about it, two things, two marvelous good news things that may just melt my heart so that I'm more willing to give. And this is kind of our little interruption until we get to point four, and because we need it to get to point four. A, get a vision for the harvest that your giving can produce. Now, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And now a lot of people look at this, and this is a great one for prosperity preachers to tell you that if you give a little, you're going to get a lot. You know, give me $100 in an envelope, and we'll send you a prayer cloth in the mail, and you'll get $1,000. That's just another form of greed. That is not what this passage is talking about. At all. Okay? This is interesting. So in the Old Testament, he even quotes then after this a passage. And that is from Psalm 112. And he says this. And it's not in, I'm sorry, you don't have it. I added that this morning. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. It's in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 and 8. He's sharing this. And he's basically saying this. When you give. When you give, your righteousness will be seen. Now, this isn't moral righteousness. Old Testament righteousness is really about right relationships. It's about the community. It's how it impacts the world. And he's basically saying how when you give of your time, your energy, your money, yourself, your possessions, you actually, your generosity heals the world, brings about community, Relationships can be restored. Poverty can be healed. When you are generous, you are healing the world. Doesn't that excite you? Doesn't that motivate you to say, wow, look at what I get to do? That's what Paul is after right now. But more importantly, even than that, to get a vision of the harvest you can produce is get a vision of your Savior. So Paul kind of sums up 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 with this phrase from 2 Corinthians 9, 15. He just says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And that gift is Jesus. He's the gift. You know, it's not simply that Jesus was born in this world. Do you realize he was given? All of us were born, but I didn't give myself. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not generously, graciously give us all things? Get it? Jesus was a gift, the gift, the ultimate gift. And when we start seeing him, the jewel of the Father's heart, as Tim Keller puts it, Given the most precious thing to this world, the Father gives the Son and the Son gives his life for us, then my heart starts to melt a little. And Paul even turns it into economic terms in our text. At the end, he puts it this way, so we kind of get and kind of add it up. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let it sink in, Paul is saying this gospel, this truth, this reality, and let it affect your heart and your life so that you start to understand Jesus became poor, became vulnerable, became rejectable, became even killable by us. If I don't have the freedom to give in eye-popping proportions where the world looks at me like Lucius of Samosata and goes like, what is going on there? Something's crazy about him then maybe, just maybe, Jesus Christ is not my functional Lord and Savior, but something else is. And Paul basically says, when you think about the radical gift that God has given us everything, of Jesus Christ on the cross pouring out his very life for us, of having nothing to himself, giving up everything he could possibly, when we receive in the Lord's Supper today again, he says, take it all. Here's my body and my blood. I don't even hold that back for myself. This is all yours. I am all yours. I am presenting everything of myself to you. When we start getting that, when Jesus starts to become the treasure of our hearts, because he, we are the treasure of his, then our giving will flow. Paul says, don't sit down with a calculator to figure it out. Sit down with a cross. And do the math. So that brings us to the final point, maybe the only point, really. It's been the point in the last few sermons when we talked about offer it up, when we talked about play it up, and that is to give completely. It says in 2 Corinthians 8.6, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The Macedonians didn't start by looking at their checkbook or trying to figure out their circumstances. They looked and they basically said, we are yours, Lord. Here we are. They could do no other. And because of that, then everything else flowed. And I don't know if you realize this. Your money is not just money. Your money is you in a tangible form. It's kind of in a take your sweat and your effort and your talent and your ability, and it gets kind of put into money, okay? And so when you give money, you're giving yourself a little of yourself. When you're giving your time, you're giving yourself. When you're giving your talent, your energy, it's really you're giving yourself. You are the greatest gift that you can ever give to anyone. And in fact, that's the gift that they need more than anything else. And God invests in this world through you. God invests in this world through you. And you are his investment to say, through my people, this world will be healed. This world is restored. Relationships that were broken are mended. Poverty. Loneliness. Alienation. All of those things are alleviated through my people as they give themselves, as I pour myself out through them and invest in this world. So I guess it comes down to that question once again. Have you given yourself to the Lord like the Macedonians? I don't think it's a one-shot deal. It's like, well, 20 years ago I did. Um, It's today. Today is always the day of salvation. It's today is when I need to, is today when I need to respond and say, yes, Lord. And like every time I've done it or sort of done it, I know there's part of me that I'm holding back. It's just human nature. I'm still struggling with that. Every day I remember I've been baptized in the name of Christ and that dead old way of transactional deal-making needs to be drowned again. And every day I rise to the new life of giving and receiving as Jesus Christ himself, I'm living in his life. And that's what needs to happen today, not just yesterday, not maybe tomorrow I'll get to it, but today. Giving myself to the Lord. For some, maybe it's the first time you've ever been like, whoa, that's it. And for others, it's like, yes, I've done it. And, and I'm telling you, I need to do it today, again. This whole ministry, my whole life, my family, everything is on the altar, in a sense, as a thank offering to God. Everything I've got, everything I value, is not as much as a value both that Jesus Christ is to me, but more than that is the value that God sees in me. I cannot believe that he chose to give up everything and to be absolutely so poor he didn't even have a good name. Nothing to him, not even a robe, not even a burial place. He was absolutely dead, poor, dead. He does that for me. All I can say is, Lord, whatever I am, I'm yours. Let's do that. Whether it's your first time, your millionth time. Let's just take a moment to pray and realize God has completely given himself to us. God has given the treasure of his heart so that he might be the treasure of ours. Will you please pray with me? Lord God, we can't outgive, we can't give back, really. We can't give and pay it forward, but we can respond in our own humble little ways. We pray, Lord, that our giving, whatever it is, would bring healing in this world through missions both local and global, through serving others and proclaiming your kingdom through this church and through other ministries, Lord. But first, Lord, we offer ourselves to you completely. It's got to be you. We give everything we've got and there's some gunk we don't want to even... You even take all of the gunk, all the junk, but somehow, Lord, you find us precious, and we are a treasure to you. May you more and more become the treasure of our hearts because you have treasured us. Not with gold or silver have you bought us, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and we thank you for that. So, Lord, we offer ourselves to you this day All by your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.